Hi, everybody. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and welcome to Prophecy Today Weekend. And along with my brother, Rick, we examine current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Rick, we're just over two weeks into the invasion by Russia into Ukraine. We're still focusing on that because it is so very important. And on today's program, we'll be talking to our broadcast partners about what is taking place and getting some answers to some hard questions about what's taking place. That's right. Events are taking place so quickly right now, not just in Russia and Ukraine, but interrelated all around the world, around the Middle East, in China, and here in the United States as well. So there's so many things taking place that I'm so glad we have this opportunity to talk to these guys and learn from them. Yes, and you're actually at NRB right now. You're their National Religious Broadcasters event, which is so important in the world in which we're living. We're so thankful for the avenue of radio to be able to, to carry forth what we're doing and helping to edify and educate the body of Christ. Well, let's get started with our first broadcast partner, Ken Timmerman. Ken always seems to have the uh, understanding of what is happening in world politics, and he helps us to, to navigate through these waters. Ken Timmerman is with us today, and I'm certain that his insight is more valuable to us now than it ever is. I mean, you just, just so much going on. So thank you for joining us, Ken. Rick, it's always my pleasure. Of course, Ken, everything that's dominating the world news and most people's conversations nowadays is the Ukraine crisis and Russia. Could you give us an update on that situation, where you see we are right now? Well, look, things are changing very rapidly, and biggest question remains what it has been for the past couple of weeks, and that is why has the Russian invasion stalled? Why are they not making uh, greater progress, quicker progress? Why is the Ukrainian Air Force apparently still in the air? We learned on Friday, for example, that uh, the Ukrainians still have uh, 59, I think is the figure, 59 combat jets. Well, gee, uh, that's interesting. And we saw also on Friday for the first time that I can recall in this three-week conflict, uh, for the first time we, we saw actual uh, footage of Ukrainian jets shooting up a Russian armored column outside of Kiev. Well, that was also a really big deal. There are many things that we don't know about the military situation on the ground. And I must say, uh, the reporting that's been done uh, by Western news media has been pretty awful. You haven't seen a lot of on-the-ground footage, really, and certainly no uh, reporters embedded with Ukrainian forces. That may be imposed by the Ukrainians. It may be that the Ukrainians don't want Western reporters there, but we're not getting ground truth. Now, what we are hearing about, and we've heard about this for quite some time, is negotiations between Ukraine and Russia. Uh, there have been several rounds of negotiations so far, and the Russian demands don't seem to have changed that much. Uh, they have dropped, at least for now, the demand that Zelensky go. They had, that had been their initial demand, that the government uh, dissolve itself and the Russians install their own puppet. But their other demands remain the same, the neutralization of Ukraine. They want the Finlandization, if you prefer, of Ukraine. Uh, they also want the Donbass and Luhansk in the eastern part of the country to be declared independent countries. In other words, they want to split Ukraine into two or three pieces. And they want a forever ban on Ukraine joining NATO. 
so those are the con- consistent Russian demands. And Zelensky has said he's willing to talk about neutralization to a certain extent. Um, but I don't see Putin and Zelensky sitting down between the two of them for some time yet. And the Russians have been saying uh, there needs to be a lot more preliminary talks before they can uh, go there. You say the Russian forces cannot advance. Is that a tactical situation or did we severely underestimate Russia's military power? Well, that uh, you know, I, I can't give you the answer to that yet because we don't know. I don't, I don't think there's enough information uh, in the public domain to say that yet. But the Russians, uh, the Russian troops have not uh, acted in uh, the coordinated fashion that we had been taught this Gerasimov. Uh, uh, doctrine where they would use combined arms, including cyber attacks. We just haven't seen that happen. Uh, It has been a real piecemeal attack by Putin. That is surprising because all of the analysis that I've been reading for the past several years uh, has been tending in the other direction where the Russians have been really working on their battlefield tactics, uh, combined arms brigades, uh, and, and we just haven't seen that in operation. So I think, you know, the jury is still out. Uh, the, the fog of war is still pretty dense. Uh, and it's going to take several more weeks for us to really begin to evaluate how the Russian troops have, have uh, performed. Ken, I've also heard concerning reports that Russia is pressuring allies such as Serbia to potentially start their own war. We know Serbia has ethnic and cultural ties to communities inside other countries such as Kosovo and Bosnia-Herzegovina. Could we see smaller wars starting up all over Europe? Well, there could be. And uh, remember that the Serbs and the Russians see themselves as fellow Slavs. Uh, The Russian support of the Serbs in the civil wars in the former Yugoslav Republic in the mid-1990s. They supported them against Croatia. They supported them against uh, Bosnia. And they supported them later on when Kosovo emerged as an independent country. That could happen again. And there's been some talk that they're trying to uh, prod the Serbs into reviving those wars. I think that's going to be a bit of overreach uh, on the part of Putin. Uh, What is not overreach, and and these are new reports uh, on, on Thursday and Friday of this week, is that the Russians have now turned to the Islamic Revolutionary Guards Corps, the IRGC in Iran, Hmm. and they're bringing in uh, IRGC troops and troops from Syria, Syrians, uh, to fight for them in Ukraine. This is, I believe, a sign that the Russians are much more on the ropes than anybody has thought until now, and that their fighting troops on the ground are much less reliable, much less skilled, and much less competent than anybody has thought before. The Western world and the United States in particular have decided to stay out of the war militarily and have essentially waged war on Russia with sanctions. And this week, President Biden announced new sanctions against Russia oil. Is that going to have an effect? Well, you're going to have to wait again for another two weeks or three weeks to see if the Europeans go along with that ban. Uh, The ban on Russian oil into the United States will affect somewhere between 600,000 and 800,000 barrels a day, roughly the amount of oil we were getting through the Keystone XL pipeline from Canada. But this is a very specific uh, Russian oil. It is a heavy oil, uh, heavy API. 
it's used in uh, blending aviation fuel. So the lack of Russian oil in the United States, while small in terms of percentage, roughly 8% of our imports, uh, could be very big in terms of the impact on flights going in and out of JFK Airport, because it's the refinery up there that apparently was uh, using Russian fuel to blend with the lighter weight crudes to make aviation fuel. In Europe, the German Chancellor Stoltz has uh, not agreed to go along with an oil ban or a gas ban. Remember, the Russians still have a pipeline, a gas pipeline going into Germany. They have the Nord Stream 1 pipeline, and they have that other pipeline through Ukraine. So they're still providing natural gas to uh, Europe, and the Europeans do not want the lights to go out. They don't want their houses to grow cold, and they are being very, very hesitant about joining a oil ban. I think what you see now is President Biden gesticulating as much as he can. This has become a domestic political issue with Republicans pushing him and Democrats jumping onto that bandwagon. Everybody wants to seem to appear to be more anti-Putin and more anti-Russian than the next person. That comes to my next question, Ken. We talk about Iran, and I know that former President Trump canceled the nuclear deal that we had with Iran, and now uh, President Biden, sometimes it seems at all costs, is trying to restart that nuclear deal. Uh, they Iran has plenty of oil, but they're under sanctions. That is making this whole situation very interesting. Well, it is, and uh, now the Iran deal has become the Russia deal. <laughs> this is this, one of the supreme ironies of this. The Russians are the lead negotiators with Iran, and uh, they, uh, earlier this week, demanded that any new Iran deal signed by the United States include a backdoor so that Russia could continue to trade and deal with Iran, and so U.S. sanctions would not be uh, applied to Russia in its Iran trade. Now, that would give them a backdoor into international financial markets. It was exactly what they want. It would completely vitiate the, the uh, impact of U.S. sanctions on Russia. And, uh, it's, and so far, the Biden administration has really not said an awful lot about that. The Iranians went home on Friday saying there's no deal or the deal is being suspended. Um, and uh, I, I guess the Europeans must have made them understand that this uh, new Russian uh, aspect of the deal was going to cause trouble for Iran. But it's a bad deal the way that it is being negotiated. Uh, Rob Malley, the lead negotiator, uh, was the same guy who gave us the 2015 JCPOA. Uh, they are basically allowing the Iranians to build a clandestine nuclear weapons program under the guise of civilian nuclear power and to allow the Russians and the Chinese to get paid for it and for the United States to agree to release $50 billion of frozen Iranian oil money to uh, help to subsidize Iranian terror. It is absolute insanity. It should never happen. And uh, maybe the Iranians themselves will be the ones who pull the plug on it. Well, Ken, there are so many different things taking place in the world right now, and they are all interrelated. And you have done a great job of being our navigator through this situation and showing us how it all works together. Rick, it's uh, complicated. Yeah. It is complicated. And as you say, interwoven. It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
Ken Timmerman, excellent as always. And Rick, one of the things that strikes me as very interesting is the surrounding nations that Vladimir Putin now is dragging into this conflict. And the common denominator in these nations is that they are Muslim fighters from Muslim Islamic countries that are getting involved in this war. And we do know that that will be the common denominator of the nations that will go against Israel in the future. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, David Dolan. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Refugees escaping from Ukraine describe attacks on civilians. Thousands remain trapped in Ukraine's major cities as the Russian invasion enters a third week. No one needs words of hope more than people in a war zone. and That's why Transworld Radio is adding a second transmitter to increase its reach in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine. Visit missionnews.org for ways to help. What would you do if your pastor didn't know the story of Jesus? That's the situation for some churches in Kenya. In mid-March, FMI will hold a church leadership conference for Kenyan pastors. They can meet each other and receive specific training. Bruce Allen says about 200 people will attend, both FMI partners and other pastors. Some of the tribes represented at this conference didn't receive Bibles in their own languages until the past few months. Please pray this conference will equip many pastors in Kenya. For Mission Network News and One Way Ministries, I'm Dot Morris. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events in the light of biblical prophecy. This segment of our program is what we like to call the Middle East News Update, and that is typically done with our friend Dave Dolan, a Middle East journalist for many, many years now and a longtime friend of our program. Thank you for joining us again today, Dave. I'm sitting in the sunshine, Rick, so glad to be doing that, but especially glad to be speaking with you. Well, that's wonderful. Dave, let's start off with a a situation that you have been keeping us updated with. That is Israel's relationship with Syria, and I know there's been some developments this week. Can you tell us about that? Well, there was another fairly large Israeli strike on Monday. Again, Israel usually doesn't acknowledge it was them that did it, but we all know, against Iranian positions near Damascus and in another location, a suburb of the city, some near the airport. Of course, those go on every so often, every week or two, we seem to have something. But this one was a bit different in that Iran said two of its senior commanders of its Revolutionary Guards were killed in the airstrike. The two were apparently in charge of the program to make 
the Hezbollah missiles and rockets into precision-guided uh, rockets, so it's upgrading them, and these two men were said to be in charge of that, so it was an important kill for Israel, but Iran has vowed revenge for it, and so Israeli forces have been on full war alert all along the northern border with Syria and with Lebanon as well. So continuing tensions there. Of course, Russia's in the mix there as well. So uh, watching it closely. Well, speaking of Russia being in the mix there, there's another story coming out that Syrian fighters are actually going to fight in the war on Russia's side. That has been reported by um, quite a few media outlets. So it seems to be the case. Um, we've got to remember that these Russians fighting right now in Ukraine received a lot of their on-ground training. I'm talking especially about commanders and, you know, not the average footman, but uh, specialized uh, forces in Syria. And in particular, in the uh, fighting around Aleppo, brutal fighting in which Russia did what it's doing now in Ukraine, using cluster bombs and just wiping out civilians right, left and center. Of course, Aleppo being Syria's second largest city and its cultural capital. Apparently, um, hundreds of these highly trained Syrian uh, street fighters, if we could put it that way, used to combat in built-up areas are being flown to uh, Ukraine or are coming on ships to the uh, Black Sea, through the Black Sea. That's a very worrisome development indeed, and another indication that uh, the war in Ukraine is quickly becoming truly a world war. We have other countries, Georgia sending fighters, um, Moldova sending fighters. We have people coming from all over the world, basically even from Asia, some fighters have come in. So, But these Syrians are highly trained and they will aid the Russians. And of course, the Russians having apparently a harder time taking those towns and cities than they initially thought they would have. Well, this is kind of an example of Russia's uh, the the Russian alliance with Syria is strong enough that they're sending fighters to Russia. Um, and we know the issues that Israel has had with Syria. Could this inadvertently bring Israel into this current crisis? Well, Israel is involved, uh, not militarily directly, but as you said, and I mentioned last week, an Israeli friend pointed out, we have Russia to our northern border, just as Ukraine has Russia to theirs in the sense that Russia really, I would say, Rick, controls Syria. They control Assad. They have the final word, the final say, and not the Syrian regime. They wouldn't be in existence if Russia hadn't come in in 2015, if Putin hadn't sent down large amounts of forces, reinforced military equipment, along, of course, with bringing Iran, Russia's ally, in at the same time. That's what turned the war around. That's what gave Assad the victory. And so he is beholding to them. And uh, yes, it's a very uh, nerve-wracking situation. Israel also, of course, trying to get refugees out of Ukraine. Um, we've mentioned before there's maybe 150,000, nobody knows for sure, uh, Jews living in Ukraine, but at least 100,000. They've got plans to bring as many of those as they can back to Israel as soon as possible. And the interior minister said this week, the Israeli interior minister, that they anticipate over 100,000 immigrants will be coming in the, the next months from both Ukraine and from Russia itself, with many Russian Jews not thrilled to be in Russia right now. And they're getting up 
picks from Georgia and other former Soviet republics where there are still Jewish communities. So Israel's preparing for that side of it as well. Well, needless to say, Israel would like, as the rest of the world would like this crisis to be over. Um, I know that the Israeli Prime Minister Bennett actually was engaged in some diplomacy trying to be a broker of peace. That was just amazing to me, Rick, because here is the first Orthodox Prime Minister of Israel that we've ever had. Uh, Bibi Netanyahu and others believed in God and had a strong faith, but Naftali Bennett wears a kippah on his head all the time, and he always goes to shiol or synagogue every Saturday, etc. And here on a Shabbat, last Shabbat, he flew uh, to Moscow at the urging of the Ukrainian leader, apparently, because, of course, Bennett and Israel have good relations with both parties to this conflict. And uh, when asked on Sunday when he got back to Jerusalem, by the way, after he met with Putin for three hours, one of the longest meetings that Putin's had with any foreign leader, and they didn't sit 18 feet apart at a long table. They were near each other and spoke like people. Um, He got on another plane and flew to Berlin to uh, inform the German leaders. And then he talked to President Macron of France on the phone and then flew back to Israel. But he said on Sunday when asked, why would you how could you violate the Sabbath to do this? He said, look, this is a, a war, and it could be a world war, and we won't be able to stay out of it, and we have a responsibility, he said, as, a, as one of the few countries that has good relations with both parties, very good relations with both sides. Uh, we had a role here, and I had to step up to it. So quite amazing. It's definitely increased Bennett's stature in side of Israel that he would be willing to do this, especially amongst the peace camp and, you know, the more liberal side of things. And, of course, Zelensky's international standing has shot up both these uh, Jewish leaders. Uh, there's not many Jews that rule countries on earth. There are two of, I think, only three. That certainly is it's a fascinating development to come out of this situation. We'll see what that brings. Well, I've only got a few minutes left here, but I wanted to talk to you about the other major news event coming out of Israel this week, and that is President Herzog going to meet with Erdogan in Turkey. That was uh, also fairly historic, Rick. Isaac Herzog, the first Israeli leader to visit Turkey since 2008, but he went to Turkey. He was welcomed with a velvet carpet and the uh, army band there played Hatikva, the Israeli national anthem, along with the Turkish one. And Erdogan said, we want these relations to get back to normal and, and improve. But Rick, the reason that most analysts say this is happening is the extreme economic troubles in Turkey. The lira, their currency, has dropped uh, precipitously over the last year. Uh, They've had all sorts of other problems, and uh, Erdogan sees that he made some mistakes, one of them being coming on so hard against Israel, which is a close ally of America and many European countries and even some Arab countries. So he's repairing that now, and he's suggested that uh, a natural gas pipeline come from Israel to the north through the Mediterranean into Turkey, and then it would go from there into Europe. Uh, This, of course, would be in place of Russian natural gas that's being uh, cut back severely due to the war. And also Israel was planning to pipe this to Cyprus and then to Greece and then throughout Europe. But the United States, I should say the Biden administration, 
uh, vetoed that last month, or I should say in January because uh, of their Green Deal. They said it's too risky and whatever. So Erdogan wants that uh, gas to come north. And, of course, he would get revenue from that, and uh, that would strengthen the relationship. Israel would be glad for that in one sense because they've been fearful that Turkey would bomb the other line that was supposed to go through Cyprus and Greece. They were very opposed to that and that it might not be a secure one. So this may be a way to get around that. But we don't want to go too far. Relations are still tense between the two countries, but they certainly have improved with Herzog's visit. Well, just briefly, David, because we only have a second, but if Israel was to start piping in natural gas from Israel into Europe, that would not make Russia very happy, would it? Aha! Uh-huh. We have a hint there of why Ezekiel 38 and 39 <laughs> will eventually happen. Uh, yes, it says they've come to seize spoil, just take the SP off and it's oil. And of course, uh, Israel didn't know it had these copious amounts of natural gas and oil supplies off its coast, but it does. And they've got to send them somewhere. And yes, it wouldn't make Russia very happy at all. It would be a real good substitute for Russian natural gas for Europe, a secure supply line. And uh, I think everybody would be happy for it, apart from Russia and Iran. As we say here, current events setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. Well, thank you, David, for joining us today. We look forward every week to you keeping us updated, and we will look forward to hearing from you again next week. I'm always happy to do it, Rick. God bless. We're going to take a break right now, but we'll be back right here on Prophecy Today Radio. Have you always wanted to visit the land of Israel? Imagine what it would be like to walk in the footsteps of Jesus. With Joshua Travel, you can visit Israel past, present, and prophetic. The Bible will come alive as you see places like the shepherd's field where our Lord was born, Caesarea Philippi, Cana of Galilee, Capernaum, the Garden of Gethsemane, and the Garden Tomb. You'll even experience an exciting boat ride on the Sea of Galilee. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time to not just visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. Call Joshua Travel today at 423-821-3635 to find out more about this trip of a lifetime, or you can visit us online at joshuatravel.com. And we're back here on Prophecy Today Radio, the program that looks at current events around the world, and sometimes uh, especially in the Middle East, in particular in Israel. And one of the persons that we use on a regular basis to do that is Israel Madad. He's the former mayor of Shiloh, and he's just a, a great person with lots of insight from Israel there on the ground uh, to let us know what's taking place in the area. So, Winky, thank you for joining us today. Thank you for inviting me, and of course, it's always a privilege to be with you people. Well, we had several stories that I would love to get your insight or your take on, and the first one being former Vice President of the United States, Mike Pence, has been in Israel and did make some waves when he uh, went to the city of Hebron. Can you talk about that visit? Well, former Vice President Mike Pence and his wife and a few other uh, close friends were uh, here just a few days because he received a, an honorary award. I'm not exactly sure 
the name of it, but Ariel University, uh, which I hope everybody knows is located in Ariel. Of course, it's across the so-called Green Line, so that always is problematic for certain people who can't understand that academics and, and education is above borders. And on the occasion, of course, he went to see what we know as biblical Israel. And Mr. Pence is a fervent Christian, and he has no problem about green line, blue line, or pink line. So he was out at Shiloh. He was out over uh, in Samaria, further north where I am. And then he also went into Hebron. As we know, these are uh, ancient sites uh, verified by science through archaeology and history. And the funny thing was that because he entered the tomb of the patriarchs, which is also shares its space as a mosque, the Palestinian Authority got very upset that someone should come into the mosque not under their authorization. And so they applied to him the term that is usually used for Jews or other non-Muslims who simply walk into the Temple Mount, and he called him Storming Mike Pence. So now he has been officially uh, inducted into the tribe of the Stormers who simply want to honor, respect, and if possible, pray at sites that have a history of over 3,000 years. Yes, I did see that. I know the Mufti said... um without proof, uh, that the site was a Muslim site, had only been a Muslim site, and there was no evidence ever of a Jewish presence there. Well, yes, Rick, you know, one of the problems we have with anti-Semites is known as Holocaust uh, revisionism. That in all sorts of ways, they try to belittle, demean, minimize, or even deny totally that there was a Holocaust, that there was a killing of mass genocide going on during World War II. And we have here in the Palestinian Authority uh, a similar operation or a parallel type of operation that denies Jews our national history, our national culture, that we had nothing to do here, nothing was built here, we're strangers, we're a foreign entity. And uh, as I've told the audience, the older people and even the younger people listening, over the many years that I've been with you guys, that this this aspect should point to the total irrationality of what we Jews are facing when we try to make peace, we try to have compromise, we try to do things of shared experiences, and we always have this in the background from the Palestinian Authority and before that Arafat and the PLO, that we don't belong here at all. And in that situation, Rick, you just really can't make peace or anything else. Well, speaking of the Palestinian Authority, they made the news this week as well. Uh, The European Union has held back some funds from the Palestinian Authority after they have failed to reform some anti-Semitic textbooks that they use for children. Now, the like I said, the European Union is not necessarily been the greatest friend to Israel or the plight of the Jewish people in the land there, but even they can't take some of the um, exaggerations and some of the lies that are in these textbooks. Yes, you're correct. I happen to know personally one of the people involved, uh, uh, David Bedin, who's been purchasing these books 
in various places uh, through agents translating them, looking at the pictures, looking at the at the at the text and the words, and it's horrific in 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 many and too many cases, I should say. And of course, this is reflective of something else, which many people do not realize that what I say, in my opinion, is wrong with the Palestinian Authority. They are still a mobilized society. That means that from kindergarten till the cemetery, people are mobilized for the cause and education and culture and sports and engineering and, uh, and environment. All types of issues are bound together and serving the cause of the Palestinian identity as much as it exists. And they will have no compunction about even, as we said in the previous question, denying things or in your our current topic that we're discussing, accusing Jews of all sorts of crimes, uh, which are very anti-Semitic in many cases. And, and this is fortunate that we had at least one person there in the EU who was appointed. You know, Rick, a lot of times you appoint the wrong person and you have no reports. Sometimes you pick the right person and he realizes what's right and what's just and what should be done. And finally, the EU has uh, indicated that enough is enough on this issue. I have noticed also lately that the Palestinians have seen the sympathy that the world has for the Ukrainian people as they suffer the Russian onslaught. And so... I was wondering, is that an apt comparison? Could you give me your thoughts on either the similarities or the differences between the Palestinians and the Ukrainians right now? Well, anybody who's been uh, specifically on Twitter, more than, even than Facebook, they've been putting up, for example, a poster with a Ukrainian-colored Molotov cocktail and a Molotov cocktail colored with the Palestinian colors of their, you know, their national flag. And they say, oh, you're saying the Ukrainians can, you know, can do this to the Russians. Why can't we do this to the Jews? And too many people say, well, you know, what's, that's, you know, they, they must be right. But you can't compare pears and apples. I mean, they do grow on trees, but they're a different type of fruit. They have a different type of season sometimes. They have a different taste. And, and this is what they do all the time in many issues across history, uh, or for example, they ignore the fact that Russia, if anybody's been paying attention to the news and watching the clips or, the, or what they put on, on television, they're destroying complete civilian neighborhoods, not a, a building here and there that sometimes Israel does accidentally, or more because the Palestinians, or the, the Hamas, I should say, in, in Gaza, hides their military commands in these buildings. But they demonstrate on behalf of Russia in some in Bethlehem just three days ago uh, so that what they will use anything, any which way to fool the public and gain their sympathy and support. And people who want to get involved in peace for Israel and the Arabs of the former Palestine mandate need to know things. They just can't walk into it and express an opinion. I hope that what you and I discuss here over the weeks, you know, 
helps them to understand more what's going on uh, and to be more discerning in, in, in all this propaganda effort by the Palestinian Authority. Speaking of the Ukrainians, there are many Jewish Ukrainians that are fleeing to Israel for the safety, and many are emigrating to Israel and the influx. Can you give us an update on that? And also maybe tell us why it's it's somewhat controversial. Well, as far as I know, we're talking about anywhere between eighty to 100,000 Jews who are still in Ukraine or were still in Ukraine. As for the last part of your question, of course— uh, our Arab friends, quote unquote, are very upset and their supporters are upset because there are too many Jews coming into Israel. And maybe some would like to live in Shiloh or uh, Efrat or even Hebron. And, you know, that would be horrendous because not only would they be coming home, but they would become settlers. And that our Arab friends cannot tolerate nor can their supporters. So we have, uh, you know, a, a, a humanitarian effort to save people from Russian bombardment and, and whatever, and they'll still draw uh, parallels with geopolitics and, and the local Arab-Israel conflict to deny them safe haven. Well, my final question, and we talked about Mike Pence visiting... My final question, Winky, have you been seeing more tour buses around? I know recently Israel opened up for tourism again, and it's probably going to be a slow process getting things started because COVID had shut that situation down for such a long time now. But just wondering, on the ground there, are you welcoming visitors to Israel again? Yes, we are. I have seen groups, you know, with all the tags that the people walk around with. I do see buses going around when I'm in Jerusalem. And I understand that, the, at least by us here in Shiloh, the tell has begun to pick up because I see some pictures that they send around of people and groups coming to the tell. So it's, uh, how should I define it, Rick? There's an upswing in tourism to Israel and to our area specifically as well. Certainly a long-awaited upswing for us and I'm sure for Israelis as well. And we're so excited ourselves here at Prophecy Today to be putting together numerous tours now that we can go back to the land of Israel. Well, Winky, thank you so much for joining us and we look forward to talking to you and maybe even seeing you soon. Oh, I will enjoy that. I can tell you very much. Again, thank you very much for having me on the program. Goodbye to you and our listeners. Well, Winky Madad has given us that information that tours are starting again in Israel, and we're looking forward to going back to Israel. Rick, I know that we have uh, many uh, trips that are uh, in the planning that were canceled in 2020, and now we'll be able to fulfill those responsibilities to those trips and add more. Well, as you know, uh, Rick and I and our father, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, uh, we have spent many years in Israel, made many friendships over the years. And one of our closest friends, who's someone that uh, you've heard on the program before, if you listen to our Prophecy Today radio network, you hear uh, Tom Meyer being talked about and his memorization skills. Tom, welcome to the program today. Thank you. It's great to be here. Hey, man. man. You're out there at Shasta Bible College in California. First of all, tell us about your ministry and what you're doing. Well, we have a ministry that's kind of a throwback to the past, to the to the time of Jesus and the disciples. And before then, 
where we memorize complete books, Jimmy, of the Bible, whole books, like the whole book of Revelation, and we teach others how to do the same. So when I speak, it's kind of like Moses is the guest speaker, Mm. or John's the guest speaker, and you hear the Word of God in its entirety from A to Z with all the energy and drama and, and passion that goes along with it. So we're all about hiding God's Word in our heart so we don't sin against Him. Wow, and you travel from church to church, and I know that you are heading from Shasta Bible College in California, where you have been a professor of Bible there, and now you're heading to the Ark in Kentucky, where you'll be working, and you do uh, many of these services in churches. You go to churches, and I know we have many pastors that listen to our program, and uh, just want to uh, give, a, I guess, a shout-out to Tom Meyer and his ministry. Uh, do they call you? the Bible memory man or something like that? <laughs> I've been called worse, especially, <laughs> especially sharing the gospel on the streets of Israel. Uh-huh. And the good thing was, though, is for the most part, I couldn't understand what they were saying in Hebrew, <laughs> so it really didn't bother me. Yeah. Well, you've got a great ministry with your family and, and all of that. And one of the reasons why you know we are bringing you on the program, um, future programs that you and I will be doing together. We're going to be talking about archaeology and the Bible. Uh, just a, a short snippet of what we're talking about. How does How is archaeology in Israel, how is that beneficial to us as believers? Well, first and foremost, you and I and all of our friends listening know that we don't need archaeology to prove the Bible's true, right? Mm. The Word of God stands on its own. But when I lived in the Holy Land for four or five years there, I earned two master's degrees at Jerusalem University College, and one of them was in Middle East culture and religion, and the other one was in the archaeology and geography of the Holy Land. And so, you know, when I was stateside growing up in church and going to Bible college here, I didn't learn or hear too much about some of these objects. And then when I got over to the Holy Land and started to learn about this tsunami of evidence that's out there that proves that the Word of God is true, I started to go called my friends and family back home and say, hey, have you ever heard of the King David Stele? Or have you ever heard of the, the Isaiah seal? Or have you ever heard of the Hezekiah seal? And time after time, they would say, I've never heard of those things. So if they never heard of them, I can guarantee you almost 90 plus percent of believers have not heard of them. And these artifacts like I said before, they're a tsunami of evidence for us to demonstrate once and again that the Word of God is true. They help give us some ammunition, some apologetics to be ready to give an answer to everyone who asks for the hope that is in us. Wow. And we're going to be looking at this because, you know, the doors are open back up again. Uh, they've been shut for a couple, uh, almost uh, almost two years now to be able to go to Israel. But uh, we'll be talking to our good friend, our guide, our chief guide, Kenny Garon, in just a moment. But uh, Tom has a wealth of knowledge. I want him to come on the program. He has many articles in the Daily Express, which is a newspaper out of the United Kingdom, out of London. And uh, we are looking forward to talking to him about some of these archaeological sites. But I think, Tom, one of the things that I want us to focus on today, because we're going to talk about, and you have memorized the book of Revelation, and you know it, uh, and we're going to talk about how to read through the book of Revelation in the future, you and I, but memorization is so very important for the time in which we're living. How can that help us in our day-to-day life practically as believers? 
Sure. That's the million-dollar question, Jimmy, right? I have 4.4 copies of the Bible at home, every translation under the sun on my phone, mm. <laughs> right? right. Why, should I, why should I take the time, the energy, and the effort, and the work to hide it in my heart? Well, in no order of importance, number one, it puts the mind of the living God within reach. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, you have mm. instant access to the mind of the living God. Number two, it gives you the ability to share your faith no matter where you are, no matter what you're doing. Number three, it gives you the ability to provide words of comfort in times of need. Number four, and we can go on, but number four is it provides you with your weapon of choice. Remember when Jesus was tempted in the wilderness by the devil? Remember yes, that? Yes, yes. Remember what he did? He quoted Scripture. He quoted Scripture, and you know what? The Word of God is what is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, and that's what we want to equip the Church with, to teach these people how to hide God's Word in your heart. Because we know they love the Lord, we know they believe it's true, Mm -hmm. but we live in a world where nobody really memorizes, so we're starting to change that. And these times in which we're living, and in our time now, we've been talking on this program for weeks, uh, watching the situation in Ukraine, understanding... um, why these nations and talking about how they're moving into place, God's plan for the future. Uh, there's nothing that says that we are not going to suffer persecution, that God's going to keep us well from the tribulation. Yes. But as the world in which we live in right now, we very well could suffer persecution uh, for being a believer in Jesus Christ. Uh, and we need to be equipped and memorizing scripture helps us to be equipped to do battle. Correct. Amen. And Amen. Well, Tom Meyer, thank you so much for joining with us. I I look forward to spending time with you. Number one, we're going to talk about memorization, how to do it, the best ways to do it. Uh, I know that you uh, have a Bible out. Well, I mean, (laughs) there is a Bible that gives study helps towards uh, a memorizing scripture, correct? Yeah, you know, we have all these fantastic study Bibles out there, don't we? Yes. That help with this or that help with that, but there hasn't been one invented until now which helps with one of the most important spiritual disciplines of all, and that's memorizing God's Word. So it's called the Memorization Study Bible, and it's available at our website, thebiblememoryman.com. Wow, excellent. Tom, thank you so much for joining with us, and uh, I really appreciate I'm looking forward to our time together that we will have in the next coming months uh, discussing archaeology, uh, memorization, the Book of Revelation together with you. Thank you, my friend. I'm talking to my good friend Kenny Guerin in Israel. He's our guide on our trips to Israel. Kenny, as a guide, what is your goal when you bring people to Israel? What do you want to convey to them? Well, ideally, we strive for the ultimate, a life-changing trip for them to experience while they're here. Uh, Jimmy, as I'm always fond of saying, I do believe we Israeli tour guides are in a unique position, in, uh, we're the only tour guides in the world, in my opinion, that uh, very seldom, hardly ever, actually deal with tourists, but rather people who are coming looking for a religious, spiritual experience. And this is where we come from. It's very exciting uh, to be a part of that. And it very often does turn out to be a, a life-changing uh, trip, certainly, our people, after a visit to the land of the Bible, do not look at the Bible ever again in the same way. But uh, it increases the depth of their understanding uh, of the Bible. Some biblical land, uh, scholars refer to a visit to the land of Israel as a so-called fifth gospel, help increasing uh, the faith uh, in the four uh, gospels. Uh, so that's in one sense. Another sense is, in a very uh, modest way, 
We are representatives of our country. And Israel is truly the center of the world. It's all happening here. It all originated here. And all of this is uh, part and parcel of uh, the package tour uh, to Israel. Now, we've, we've been involved with doing tours for several years. Um, what is... Uh, what's the mood in the land of Israel this year? I know that we have seen on the news people are a little cautious about going. Have you seen the things that are happening there in the Mideast? Has it affected tourism to Israel this year? And to those of you that hesitate, uh, those of you in the States that are hesitating about coming, I can just suggest take your cue from the rest of the world that their numbers are only increasing and have year after year. You have to remind yourself, sensational journalism, that's what sells newspapers. And, you know, don't buy into any of that. And, and, and certainly don't watch CNN. We are aware of, you know, the dramatic headlines and, and you know, all the talk of uh, doomsday. But it doesn't fool the Israeli public. And it really shouldn't. You really shouldn't let yourself be influenced by that as well. Yes, often we're asked that question, is it safe to go to Israel? And I always tell people, as long as we get you through New York City, you'll be just fine in the land of Israel. <laughs> well, you know, Jimmy, as a tour guide, I'm always asked that question, is it safe? And the most honest answer is also the most simplest answer. We here in Israel don't even use that terminology of safe. Safe is a given. Uh, that's granted. What you really should be asking yourself, is it responsible on my part in uh, coming to Israel? And the answer is definitely 100% yes. We don't do anything that's irresponsible. You know, like take you to the problematic areas. Mm -hmm. We go nowhere near those places. Uh, you know, the, uh, the way the guides break it down is itinerary on these tours, the sites, and the question you could... It could ask is, is it the degrees of uh, responsibility? Is it a place that you would take your group? Is it a place that you would go with your, with your family? Is it a place that you would only go on your own? And the bottom line is all of the sites and all of the itineraries are places that we would go with our family, with our children. Mm. which is, you know, the utmost responsibility. But the question of safe and unsafe, it, it, it's a non-issue. Everything is, is safe. Everything is responsible. Is now a good time to go to Israel? Now? You mean uh, you got your backpack, Jimmy? You're ready to come over? <laughs> yeah, now's an excellent time to come. Well, this year... Uh, yes, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, everything is in order. Everything, In other words, we have been building year after year. Uh, the foundation uh, for tourism there, and more uh, uh, hotel rooms in uh, Tiberias and Jerusalem. Sites are being uh, upgraded in, in the world of archaeology, new discoveries. Yes, indeed, the time is now. Kenny, if we have a friend that's looking at going to Israel, trying to make that decision to make the trip of a lifetime, what spiritually can they expect and how should that affect their decision-making process? Well, Jimmy, I'm assuming that most of the people that consider coming to Israel are people that, uh, for the vast majority of their life, have been reading their Bible back home. Reading a Bible back home and not in the land of the Bible, that's been compared to, oh, like watching television without the sound on or something like that. The authors of the Bible 
they do not explain anything about the land, the geography, the, the layout of the land, the weather, the climate, the, the, the agriculture, the, the, the language, the customs, the culture. They're just assuming that the readers of the Bible will be more than familiar with that. And that's not the case today. So it's imperative that you come to Israel in order to begin to comprehend all of these things from the Bible. You can't gain that insight into the Bible and, and the ability to put in perspective all of the prophecy expressed in the Bible until you come first to Israel. And it's a shame to postpone it any longer. Set a date now. If you don't set a date, it's not going to happen. Put it in motion. That's what I always say. Kenny, what would be, if you were trying to make a decision, and I, and I know that you want people to come now as soon as they can, as do we, but if they had, if they were trying to make a decision, which is better, the spring or the fall, to come on a trip? Well, that's a toss-up, uh, Jimmy. Uh, certainly in terms of weather, it's a toss-up. You know, the spring is with all the countryside uh, green, uh, all of our rivers and, and uh, the Sea of Galilee uh, filled with uh, water, the blooming uh, wildflowers, the, the Sea of Yellow, the colored flowers, and followed by the red. This is, uh, this is a typical spring day. Together with that, you've got fall. That's our Indian summer days as well. So it's not by chance that these are uh, our high seasons. It's, uh, it's the best weather. So it's a personal decision. Uh, whenever it's more convenient for you to come, that's the time to come. But yeah, you've narrowed it down to the high season, and this is a function of the uh, the weather is uh, spring and fall. Oh, we're so looking forward to being there. Kenny, thank you so much for talking to us about Israel, and we hope to do this again sometime, and we'll get a little bit more of the flavor of our trips as we come to Israel. We'll look forward to seeing you in the springtime. Okay, Jimmy, always a pleasure to, to hear from you, and maybe we can pass on a little bit of the, the sights, the sounds, the smell of the land of Israel, the land of the Bible. Shalom, shalom. Shalom, shalom to you, Jimmy. All the best. God bless. Well, we've got to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series, the new one, Alpha and Omega, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung, Jr., and along with my brother Rick, we are examining current events in the light of God's prophetic word. Let me remind you that this weekend I will be in Prospect, New York at Bethel Baptist Church doing a prophecy conference, a four-day prophecy conference. We invite you if you're up in that area. I do understand that uh, upstate New York is getting about 8 to 12 inches of snow, and uh, so we'll see what does happen. But uh, if you're in that area, you know, for me in Texas, Rick, and for you in Chattanooga, 12 inches of snow would mean something to us. We would be locked in for a couple days, but uh, I guess in upstate New York, people will still travel to church, and I'm looking forward to being there to teach the Word of God to those that are there. T Rick, tell me a little bit about uh, the National Religious Broadcasting Convention. Jimmy, this is a convention that we try to come to just about every year when we can. We've got a lot of old friends here. We've been doing this radio program for 20 years, so we get a chance to meet with other people, like-minded uh, ministry people that are out here trying to use whatever medium available. I know when we started, it was primarily uh, radio broadcasters, but now it's all different kinds of media. Mm -hmm. And, of course, I remember going to National Religious Broadcasters maybe 
15 to 20 years ago when the internet was the new thing, you know, and <laughs> of course now we see how that is with podcasts. So it's, we're here trying to stay on the kind of the cutting edge and doing what we can to use technology to reach people with the prophetic truth of scripture. Yes. And we are carrying on the ministry of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung, our father who started this way back in the day. I can still remember sitting and uh, watching my dad broadcast. And now here, Rick and I are doing the same thing wherever we are, whether it be Rick, you're in Nashville. I'm in San Antonio next weekend as we travel. And we do look forward to doing some programs from Israel in the future. Well, we're continuing the Legacy Series, and as we continue our new series entitled Alpha and Omega, The Beginning and the End, we will spend some time looking at the biblical account of creation as recorded in Genesis 1. This program of Bible prophecy, and as we teach Bible prophecy, we do so by taking the prophetic passages literally. Therefore, if we study Bible prophecy, literally, we must also take the account of creation literally as well. We'll see how this all fits together in our study today with Dr. Jimmy DeYoung on the Legacy Series entitled Alpha and Omega. I'm a prophecy teacher. and I'm going to be teaching prophecy. Now, in order for prophecy to be real, to be fulfilled, for us to pay attention to it, it has to be translated literally. Like we translated John 3.16, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever should believe in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. If you take that literally, and you had to, to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you take literally uh, chapter 10 of the book of Romans, verse 13, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, then you've got to take prophecy literally. But if you take prophecy literally and the salvation redemption story literally, you've got to take the first chapter of the book of the Bible literal as well. Jesus Christ had to create the heavens and the earth and all that in them is or the rest of the Bible cannot be believed either. And there's a battle going on about creation. There's a battle between saved people and lost people basically. And that battle is whether the evolutionary process is how the origins of man came into being. Well, I want you to know something, my dear friend. The evolutionary process is still a theory. Pure science says this. You've got to be able to observe what happened and then replicate what happened. I don't know anybody that observed the creation and is able to replicate it. And so there is no true science that believes that and has an absolute proof that evolution was the process. So it is by faith they take evolution as the origin of man. We need to stand up to that. Number two, I've got to tell you that I can't prove creation as a fact. I had to take it by faith. But I took it by faith because I believe the man who went to the cross, died, was buried, and resurrected, and lives today, and he's now my Savior. And so it gives me better reason to take that what God said, the creation took place as it is recorded here in chapter 1 of the book of Genesis. I'll take that by faith much quicker than I take anything other than what God's Word has to say. 
So that battle is going on. We're battling it all the time. Your children, if they go to a public school, have to deal with it all the time. If you go into a secular university as a student, even as a grad student or whatever, you have to continue to deal with it all the time. If you read National Geographic magazine, the main thrust of National Geographic magazine is the evolutionary process, their television program. That's all they talk about. Folks, are we not being inundated? Do we not have to take a stand? It's happening out there all the time. The battle from the beginning is absolute. But that's not the only battle. That's not the only debate. That was between saved and lost people. There's a debate going on between saved and saved people. That battle is this. We don't want to take the word of God literally. We want to compromise. We want to see how we can take a little bit of the word of God and a little bit of scientific evolutionary process and put it together. And so it was. Theistic evolution has come in. Oh, they call it something else. Folks, it's theistic evolution. It's that God started something over here and it's evolved over the millions and billions of years. It's called the old earth theory. A man who is not a theological student. He's a scientist. And he has come to tell us that evolution played a key role in the creative acts as talked about in the book of Genesis chapter 1. In order to do that, he has to take scientific information, so-called scientific information, and put it as a higher priority than what God's word says. Either God's word is correct, and we, this earth and everything in it, the heavens, the earth, and all that was in the heavens and the earth was created by Jesus Christ. That had been happened in six 24-hour days, approximately 6,000 to maybe 8,000 years ago. Or we have to compromise and put science as the God and the most educated approach to understanding creation. Go back to Genesis chapter 1 with me. First of all, on your way back to Genesis chapter 1, I want to remind you that Jesus Christ created everything, the heaven, the earth, and all that in them is. How do I know that? Colossians chapter 1 and verse 16. By him were all things created. By Jesus Christ were all things created. God the Father was the architect. Jesus Christ was the carpenter. He's the one that spoke everything into existence. It was in the mind of God what was going to happen, and he created into existence, okay? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1.1. There's an interesting passage over there when the law is given to uh, Moses. The law is given to Moses in the 20th chapter of the book of Exodus. Go with me to Exodus chapter 20 just for a second. Notice what it says here, starting in verse 8. Remember thy Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God in it. Thou shalt not do any work, thou shalt, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, nor thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy strangers that are within thy gates. Verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them is, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and hallowed it. He's telling the people to take a day's rest after working six days, laboring for six days, take a seventh day and rest on it. He said, that's what I did. Now, do you think God was trying to ask 
the children of Israel when he gave them the Ten Commandments. I took eons. Those days were eons of time. And after I did six eons of time, billions of years, I rested another billion years. Now what I want you to do is work six billion years and then take rest for a billion years. You think that's what he was talking about? Or do you think he was literally telling them, it took me six days to create the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is, and on the seventh day I rested. Now that's the pattern I want you to follow. You work six days, you rest the seventh day. And so it is, he's laying out, giving us the evidence that in six 24-hour days, as the Bible literally says, this happened. Go to chapter 1 again of the book of Genesis. The second way that I know that this was a six 24-day period of time and not eons of time, thus we have then a young earth instead of an old earth, is that as you look at the days, and there are six days of creation, he describes them by their number of the day. He used a numerical adjective. The word yom, Y-O-M, is the Hebrew word for day. I challenge you to take your concordance, go to your computer if you have a Bible program, search out the word yom and find any place in the Bible where the word yom, day in Hebrew, has a numerical number or a numerical adjective beside it and is not a 24-hour day. There's not one in the Bible. And so when he uses a numerical adjective, he's talking about a period of time. Jesus Christ in John chapter 11 determined what a day was. He said it's 12 hours. 12 hours is a day. That's the night is 12 hours. That's 24 hours. And so now, don't you think he has the same vocabulary that he had in John 11 over here in Genesis chapter 1? When he gave Moses this information, six 24-hour days. And, And we know how long it was from... Genesis to the flood, so we can determine how long it was after the flood to today, and then we know that we have a thousand-year millennial kingdom yet to come. We can discern it's about 6,000 years up to the millennial kingdom, the thousand years for the millennial kingdom, and then into eternity future. How do we know that? We have the genealogies of chapter 5 of the book of Genesis, chapter 10 of the book of Genesis, chapter 11 of the book of Genesis. And let me tell you something, folks, there's no gap in any of those genealogies. No gap. How do I know? Because I read chapter 5. It says, and Adam lived so long and had Seth. And then he died after he had Seth, after living so many years. And Seth lived so long. There's no gap between Adam and Seth. And Seth and his son Enos are on down the line to Noah, Genesis chapter 5. So we can determine by going to God's literal word and seeing what it says. In Genesis chapter 1, the first day of creation. What did he do? Created the heavens and the earth. And by the way, between those two events, he created angels. How do I know that? Well, I read the book of Job, chapter 38, verses 4 to 7, wherein God says to Job, Hey, Job, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? You got a problem, Job? Where were you when I shaped the earth? You know where the foundations are? Have you ever measured around the earth? And then he says in verse 7, When the angels... The morning stars and the sons of God, those are names of angels. When the angels sang and praised the Lord, when I brought the earth into existence. And so then, by putting those chapters together, you say, God created the heavens, the habitation location for the angels. He created angels, then he created the earth. Everything was created in six 24-hour days. Nothing prehistoric.
And he, by the way, he brought light into existence. Now, it's not the sun because the sun is on the fourth day of creation. I, I, I would suggest to you that it's probably the face of Jesus Christ. Where do I get that from? Revelation chapter 1, verse 16, where it says the countenance of Jesus is the sun shineth in its very strength. One day we'll do away with the sun and the moon. Jesus Christ will be the power light company. His face is sun as it shineth in his very strength. That's how it's going to be. Light appeared. And then with absence of light, there was darkness. And that made 24 hours. And that's how we determine day and night today. That's chapter 1. And that's the first day of creation. And then in the second day of creation, you know what he did? He gave us breathable space on this earth. Praise God for that. He separated the water. He put water above the firmament and water below the firmament. He set up the firmament or the heavens or breathable space. Didn't do a lot on the second day, but I'm sure glad he did that so we could breathe today. God's account of creation as recorded in Genesis 1 and written through inspiration by Moses, the Jewish prophet, is the foundation for our faith as Christians. Taking the account of creation literally is essential for us to study Bible prophecy, which must be taken literally as well. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung and the Legacy Series. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Rick and I will take a look at the book as we examine all the events that we have talked about today and how they fit in to Bible prophecy, right here on Prophecy Today Weekend. I'm Dodd Morris for Ruth Kramer with Mission Network News. Refugees escaping from Ukraine describe attacks on civilians. Thousands remain trapped in Ukraine's major cities as the Russian invasion enters a third week. No one needs words of hope more than people in a war zone. and That's why Transworld Radio is adding a second transmitter to increase its reach in Belarus, Russia, and Ukraine. Visit missionnews.org for ways to help. What would you do if your pastor didn't know the story of Jesus? That's the situation for some churches in Kenya. In mid-March, FMI will hold a church leadership conference for Kenyan pastors. They can meet each other and receive specific training. Bruce Allen says about 200 people will attend, both FMI partners and other pastors. Some of the tribes represented at this conference didn't receive Bibles in their own languages until the past few months. Please pray this conference will equip many pastors in Kenya. For Mission Network News and One Way Ministries, I'm Dot Morris. Have you ever wanted to visit Israel and trace the footsteps of Jesus? With Rick and Jim's VIP trips, you'll see Israel past, present, and prophetic. Our VIP trips are typically smaller groups of 8 to 12 people. This smaller group size allows us to spend more one-on-one time answering your questions and personalizing our tour. It is a very intimate experience. You'll visit each site with Bible in hand as we take the time not to only visit the sites, but to help you understand their importance to our biblical heritage and to our prophetic future. We will place special emphasis on the eternal city of Jerusalem, the most important city in the world, and the place from where Jesus will rule and reign one day. We can also customize our trip for your family or small group. Please call Joshua Travel today and see how we can make your trip extra special. Call 423-821-3635 or visit us online at joshuatravel.com. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. I'm Jimmy DeYoung Jr. And along with my brother Rick, 
For the last hour and a half, we have been examining current events around the world, whether it be in Ukraine, Israel, uh, Syria. Uh, we're talking about events happening around the world. Rick, we have been examining them to see how they fit into Bible prophecy and using the Word of God as really the vanguard for determining why the world is acting as it is. That's right, and we're lucky to have our broadcast partners who give us trusted news. There's so much information out there right now, uh, but these broadcasters uh, that we have developed over the years um, have really stepped up to give us top-quality information, starting with Ken Timmerman, and he gave us an overall update on what's going on in Russia and Ukraine right now. And, of course, it's just really hard to overlook the importance that Russia is playing on the world scene right now and not relate it to Ezekiel 38. You know, when we look at this, and sometimes in our world, and I, I think I, as I talk and I speak to people all the time, our world has changed, and it is changing, and it's going to continue to change, which is leading us, and as we understand Bible prophecy, it really does help us to understand that you know, how close that we are getting to the rapture of the church. When we see these things taking place, it's not normal. When we see a Russia invading and destroying a nation as Ukraine, and when we see uh, Russia using fighters from Syria and, and other areas of the world that are mentioned in Ezekiel 38, along with Iran and Syria, and uh, when you look at Somalia, Sudan, Ethiopia, uh, how all these nations are fitting in, uh, the United States and no longer having a lead role uh, and being able to make decisions, uh, I mean, really clearly we are seeing uh, and living in perilous times, as we've talked about last week, and, and Matthew, and that's what Jesus said, one of the signs to his second coming would be perilous times, wars and rumors of wars. And that's what we're seeing right now. And our, our world is changing. We need to be prepared to be able to go to battle in these last days to Get the message of God's plan of salvation for mankind. Now more than ever, that certainly is important. We definitely, we see the carnage and the violence that's taking place in Ukraine. And we've in the, even in past shows, we've talked to missionaries, and we know there are people out there. There are people dying. And as Christians, our responsibility is to continue to share the gospel everywhere we can and support the sharing of the gospel everywhere we can as well. Well, Dave Dolan came on and gave us a great Middle East news update. And I guess one of the most interesting um, stories that he talked about, and we talked about it a little bit last week with Rob Congdon, is a potential um, thawing of the relationship with Israel and Turkey and a potential pipeline. Uh, Israel has vast quantities of natural gas and a pipeline that would run from Israel into Europe and would potentially replace their dependence on Russian oil, which would certainly affect Russia. Oh, man, when you look at this, Rick, that's amazing when we talk about— and Turkey is mentioned in Ezekiel 38. That's Meshach, uh, Gomer, Tagarma. Uh, when you look at these nations that are mentioned there, uh, these ancient nations that were first mentioned in Genesis chapter 
10, now in Ezekiel 38. That's modern-day Turkey. And when we see the relationship coming back together, a thawing, as you said, uh, of those, uh, you know, the animosity between the two countries, it's coming together. Tayyip Erdogan wants to be the pan-Islamic leader of the Islamic world, but yet here he is establishing a relationship with Israel, uh, very much playing into the to the role of what uh, could bring all of these, that uh, hook that's put in the jaw of that animal and drawing all these nations to the nation of Israel to do battle. So, yes, it's very interesting when you watch this taking place. Winky Madad came on and gave an excellent report uh, based out of Israel uh, on what's taking place there in Israel. And one of the stories that he talked about that struck me was the fact that the Mufti of Jerusalem claimed that former Vice President Mike Pence, in his visit to Hebron, they said he stormed the mosque. And, and it's just the way the, the way that the mainstream media can report things. You have to kind of take a look back and say, is this correct? And then secondly, it just shows the animosity between the Palestinians and the Israelis that is still there. Yes. Uh, you know, Dad has a series, and we still make it available to people. It's called Satan's Subtle Strategy. And really, this is what that is. It's using these Islamic leaders, uh, the Mufti. I can remember being in the office with uh, Dad, and we were doing our project on Ready to Rebuild Revisited, and we interviewed the Mufti of Jerusalem. And yes, that's their thought process. <laughs> I like the name that they gave to to uh, Vice President Pence, Storm and Mike Pence. So uh, yeah, that's interesting when we look at the thought process that is taking place. And it is clearly one that is anti-God, anti-Christ, and, and, and setting up for end-time events. Of course, we finished off our conversation with Winky saying we hope to maybe talk to him next week, but also see him next week. So well, that introduces the fact that uh, tourism is back in Israel, and it's been such an important part of our ministry, using the country of Israel as a classroom. And it was great to hear Kenny's voice as we talked about what it's like to be in Israel. Yes, and we're so looking forward to getting back. Look, we would love for you to go with us, but I know I have a lot of pastors that listen to this program. And um, look, any way that you can, if you can, during this period of time, go to Israel to see how God is working in the nation of Israel with the Jewish people. He still has a plan for the Jewish people. As we look at those covenants that have promised to the Jews, they haven't been fulfilled yet. That's why we keep our eyes on the Jewish people and what's taking place in the end times. Uh, a promise of a land that those borders of that land go from the Euphrates and Iraq all the way to the Nile and Egypt, as far north as Lebanon, as far south as Saudi Arabia. We look at a promise of a descendant of King David ruling and reigning in the city of Jerusalem from the Temple Mount, that area of uh, the the Dome of the Rock is today, the third most holiest site in Islam, the number one holiest site to the Jewish people. We do know that God will establish the throne of Jesus Christ in the city of Jerusalem in the future. Jimmy, there's a thought process that goes into why we put this program together the way we do, and uh, we're doing it to educate the Christian community on what's taking place in the world right now, and that knowledge should inform us on how we should live our lives. Yes, exactly right, Rick. Thank you so much. Folks, with all that is happening, and again, I talk about those events that are happening in our world, we are looking forward to the rapture of the church to take place, and with the things that we are seeing, it could happen in the next few moments. So let's keep looking up until... 
Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today. Prophecy Today is a listener-supported production of Shofar Communications in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Thank you.